following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And uh, if you got to read Friday's uh, e-bulletin that went out, you know that this is the last message um, of 16 that we have done in the first part of Luke's Gospel. And Luke's Gospel has four uh, sections to it. And um, it kind of ends in the middle of a chapter. We know the chapters and verses are not inspired by the Lord. And, um, and so we're finishing this first part, and we're going to continue our journey in Luke beyond uh, this Sunday, but, um, uh, but not right away. We're going to set it aside until the fall and come back to it in the fall. And we're kind of ending it at the chapter of his life just before he starts his public ministry. And we'll finish the rest of chapter 4 sometime in the fall once we've planned out all of that. And I... Um, Having kind of worked on that section a little bit, I, I know that that's either going to take us almost all of next preaching calendar uh, to get through the next five or so chapters, um, or it's, I'm going to break it up a little bit, and it's going to take us longer to get through the entire gospel, and, um, and that's okay, because we have nothing else to do until Jesus comes back to study the Bible, correct? Amen. Correct? Um, so, um, so there's no rush. We want to hear what God has to say to us. Amen. That's what we want to hear. And uh, today we want the same thing. Lord, uh, please speak to us here. We'll take a look up on the screen. A temptation is the devil uh, looking through the keyhole. Yielding is opening the door and inviting him in. Evangelist Billy Sunday uh, said that. And um, it's a striking comment. The devil is on the other side of the door of your life. He wants to come in. But you have to know that he, he can't come in if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. can't come in unless you give him permission. Please understand that. But he's very persuasive. He's not just looking through the keyhole into your life. He's talking to you through the door. And he's very persuasive. And we, as human beings, sinners, we are predisposed to letting him in. That's our orientation. We, we want to let him into our lives. Once he's inside, can I just say this? Once he's inside, it can be fun for a moment or two. We can find pleasure in his company. We can enjoy the things that he's enticing us to enjoy. Once we allow him in, understand this as well, it's not easy to get him out. The more often we invite him in, the more difficult it is to get him out. When he's on the outside looking in, so we understand these, what's happening here. When he's on the outside looking in, that's what we call temptation. And that's the focus of what we're going to talk about today. When he's on the outside looking in, it's temptation. When we open the door and let him in, that's sin. We want to avoid sin. As Christ followers, we ought to have a strong inclination inside of us. If we genuinely love Jesus Christ and have his spirit in us, declared ourselves to be his followers, if we have gone to the cross and received the redemption, 
The payment of our sins in his blood. If we have done all of that, then we ought to have a disposition toward not sinning. An inclination that we want to keep him out. Fine if you look in, devil, but I don't want you in my life. So, how do we keep the devil on the other side of the door? Today's passage, Luke chapter 4, the first 13 verses, is the temptation of Jesus Christ. This is where he goes toe-to-toe, face-to-face, one-on-one battle with the devil himself. The devil pulls out all the stops. And having seen, as we work through today's passage, having seen how Jesus deals with temptation, the question for us will be, what should you do, what should I do when being tempted by the devil? I hope you want to know. Luke 4, 1 through 13, let me read this and then I'll pray for us. I feel like we're going to need it today, you know? I feel like the devil's right, right here, peering through the keyhole right now. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. God, uh, again, uh, we are praying. Uh, God, we are uh, pleading with you, really, uh, to speak to us in the midst of our own desperation. Uh, Father, we want to... um, We want to live fully for you, and we need your help to do that. Uh, God, we know uh, that the evil one is uh, here right now, and that his desire uh, is for us to not believe you. God, we, uh, we need you, God, to help us right now to know what we ought to believe, what we ought to do when he tempts us. And so, God, help us to hear your word, help us to believe it, Help us to be eager to live it out in every way in our lives. Father, have your way in our lives, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, What should you do when being tempted by uh, the devil? Start here. 
Don't be like Jesus. When's the last time you heard a preacher tell you not to be like Jesus? Anyone? Don't. Don't be like Jesus. Pastors are supposed to tell you um, to be like Jesus, and you should, except um, in the two things that I'm going to talk to you about right here. Uh, Could we all admit right now that Jesus' mission in the world was unique? Unique to our mission. We have the same mission in terms of the preaching and proclamation of the message of repentance and of forgiveness. Uh, But our mission is different in that Jesus alone was called to be the Savior of the world. Uh, You don't have to be the Savior of the world. You don't even have to be the Savior of yourself. That was His mission. Uh, That's what He came to accomplish. And as the God-man, unique among all, there is no one like Jesus. Amen? We, We sing that. There is no one like Jesus. Unique because he is fully God and fully man. And as the God man in this situation, he had to meet the devil face to face, um, uh, have the battle with him and prove his worthiness as the God man to give his life as a sacrifice for us. To prove his sinlessness, his qualification to be the savior of the world. And if you look at verse 1, you see that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Or the word there, in some of your translations, might even be to be tested by the devil. This is a testing, a necessary testing of the God-man, of Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit leads him out. I mean, you can write down, this is a divine confrontation that is taking place in the wilderness. This is a war that's going to be waged. And the spoils of war are the eternal souls of humanity. My soul was on the line. Your soul was on the line in the wilderness that day. God intended to take the battle to the devil. Make no mistake, God's on the offensive here. The Spirit led Jesus Christ into the wilderness. He's not fighting a defensive battle against the devil. He's going right to him. He's the aggressor. God is the aggressor. Jesus Christ, as Jeremiah 20, I love this description of Christ. He is the dread warrior going up against his arch enemy, coming out to face him on the field of battle. And none of us, listen, though we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, Uh, uh, For our own souls, for the souls of others around us, we are not being asked to fight this battle. And any battle we fight is on the basis of the one already won by Jesus Christ. Death has already been defeated by the cross of Christ. The sting of death has been removed. The, The grave is empty. And our eternal souls are set and secure by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all on the basis of what Christ did, not... Not at all what we do. That's what's awesome about our Savior. He fought the battle. He won the battle. One that we could never have won on our own. So so don't be like Jesus in these two ways. Because he's so unique. Don't face your temptations alone. Don't face them alone. Verse 1, again, let's review that. Jesus was 
full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And what you notice is that he's alone. It's just him, the Holy Spirit, motivating him to go up. But it's just Jesus. He doesn't have his posse yet. He doesn't have the three or the twelve or the seventy-two. He doesn't have anybody with him. It's just Jesus in the wilderness. There's simply no good reason, though, why any of us should ever be seeking to fight our battle over sin and temptation alone. Well, except that you're too proud to ask someone to help you. Pride, the root of every sin. I can handle this on my own. Maybe you think your brand of sin is too much for people to handle. I don't feel like I could share that. Maybe, maybe you feel that because you're so entrenched in it and you haven't had victory that the shame is so deep over it that you can't share it with someone. Maybe you think that by confessing it, the consequences will be so far-reaching that you're afraid to confess it. And all of that, can I just say for the record, all of that is merely pride. And it's really you exalting yourself above what God would have you do. My feelings, my sense of this, where I'm at with it, what I think is going to happen is more important than what God says about this. All of that is a lie of the devil, by the way, that we should keep ourselves isolated and fight the battle on our own. The pronouncement in the garden, God created Adam and then he said it's not good that the man should be alone. That wasn't just about marriage, by the way. I mean, it's a statement about the totality of our lives. The reality is, if, you've, if you're not married or you've never been married, a God has still provided you with relationships because we are, as human beings, wired up to be connected to one another. We, we need each other. We need to be in relationship. God fashioned us in that way. When we say uh, in biblical soul care training that, that we're better together than we are alone, we're better together, we mean that out of the, out of the, the way God created us. Every aspect of our lives, we're better together. God has given us marriage. God has given us friendship. God has given us family. God has given us church. God has given us small group. And we need all of that. God made us that way. So don't face your temptation alone. We're meant to walk together on along our journey with Christ. It's God's intention for us. Don't, don't face your temptation alone. And secondly, don't be like Jesus. Don't, don't set yourself up to be tempted. Can you see that he's going out to wage war here? That the Spirit led him out into what is an extremely vulnerable situation. Verse 2, the first part here. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil during that whole time. Notice he ate nothing during those days. Some kind of fasting. Maybe complete abstinence, but for sure he's fasting, he's withholding. He's creating a scenario by which the test that the devil will give him will be genuine. Where he will be vulnerable to the devil's attacks. And in his weakened physical state, he faces during the entirety of the time he's in the wilderness, 
Temptation after temptation after temptation. Now, true or false, just answer for yourself. Don't answer for anyone else. We are, you are, more susceptible to temptation when you are hungry, tired, sick, relationally starved, or idle. True or false? Absolutely true. And yet we often put ourselves into those situations, almost intentionally daring the devil to lead us down a path of violating God's moral will and sinning against him. And we should be so careful, as far as possible, not to intentionally create situations where we might indulge our desires or give in to sin out of physical needs or out of emotional needs that we have. Let me make this even more plain. Don't put yourself in situations where giving in to temptation is easy. And I I could go through a bunch of examples of what that might look like for you, but I would suspect that you already know what those examples are. Where am I when I sin? Where am I? What situation have I put myself in that allowed that to happen? And then you eliminate that situation. You ensure that you don't go there any longer. And so, in those two things... Don't be like Jesus. All right, done with that. Let's get to the be like Jesus part. First this, be filled with the Spirit. We saw back in verse 1 that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Um, Different than us, really in the sense that um, he's already full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's God, correct? You sure? He's God, correct? He's God. And so he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's part of the Trinity. And so he's full of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, you get a real sense from this statement. Uh, We're always told to be filled with the Spirit. Um, Command, we'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus is already full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit actually flows from him. And, And so it's a little different than what we see. The command is still there for us, though. If Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, then we ought to... Obey the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, Otherwise, we're not going to be successful against sin. So spirit filling for us is something that I just would explain this. We did a series not long ago on the Holy Spirit. And here's what what we learned from that series is that the, the spirit filling comes and goes in our lives. It's not related to our salvation, which is called spirit baptism. When the spirit comes to us at the time that we become followers of Christ... And he permanently indwells us. Our salvation is not in question if we are a genuine follower of Christ. But the spirit filling or the anointing or the empowerment of the spirit, that's something that can come and go in our lives and is dependent really on our walk with him, our our obedience to him. So Paul commanded us to take the initiative to do what we need to do, Ephesians 5.18. He said, this is a command, be filled with the spirit. You say, uh, what does that look like? Well, spirit filling, if it's our initiative, means that we're going to put ourselves in a place where we can be filled with God's Holy Spirit. We can have his power in our lives. 
It means unashamed worship. It means when I come here, I really want to engage in the worship. I'm eager for it. I've prepared myself for it. I love it. I want to sing. I want to call out to the Lord. I want to celebrate who he is. And when I do that, I'm opening myself up to the power of God's spirit in my life. It means digging into God's word. It means being eager for it. It means I'm hungry for it. It means I don't want to just get it on a Sunday. I mean, I want to get it all week long. I, I need God's word. And that allows God to speak to me. And that opens me up to the filling of God's Holy Spirit. That he would empower me to live my life for him. And it means that I have a deep gratitude to God in prayer. An intimacy, growing intimacy with him in prayer. It's vital. It's real in my life. I talk to him. Prayer. Do you have that? That opens us up to the filling of God's Holy Spirit, living our lives on purpose, knowing what our mission is in this world and seeking to fulfill that mission and, and a humble, submissive service to one another in the church and having all things in common and all of this, just living the way God has prescribed for us in his word leaves our lives open to the filling of his spirit in our lives. And it's in the living of our life fully for his glory that we're going to see his power unleashed in our lives. And if in contrast, because if you're not, you're always filled with something, please understand. You're never empty. You're either filled with the spirit or you're filled with yourself or you're filled with the devil himself or you're filled with the world. And those three things are really kind of identical so you're either filled with the Spirit or you're filled with these other things. And so you decide right now, where am I at with the Lord? And do I have His filling in my life? Or is it just like too much me in me? And if you're full of yourself or the devil or the world, you can expect that you will more often, if that's true of you, when He's looking through the keyhole and He's talking to you, if you are not filled with the Spirit, you will more often open the door. Does that make sense? You will more often open the door and allow sin into your life. So be like Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Resist the devil. Next, understand your own weakness. Uh, verse 2 says, um, just that one phrase, uh, right at the end, he was hungry. He was hungry. I mean, that simple observation states what often alludes us that we don't take our appetite for sin seriously. We're hungry for it. Again, we set off the top that because we're sinners, we're predisposed towards sin, and we think the best way to satisfy the craving that's inside of us, whatever that craving is for, uh, maybe it's for power, maybe it's for attention, maybe it's sexual uh, satisfaction, maybe it's greed and I just want more possessions, or whatever it is, whatever we're looking for and seeking in this world, we have to recognize that inside of us is this craving, this desire, I, I want it, I feel like I absolutely need it as much as I feel like I need my next meal. We're trying to understand our own weakness here. We don't realize how much we think we need to satisfy our cravings actually in inappropriate ways. So in a general sense, I want you to understand the gravity of... I want you to understand the gravity of sin in a general sense. I get it. Sin's a big deal for all of us. But it's not going to be very helpful to you if we just understand it in a general way. But I want you to be thinking right now, what's my thing? 
I want you to think not just in a general sense for all of us, but in a very particular sense for you. What's the sin issue that you struggle with? What do you hunger for in your life? What's the devil saying when he's at your door? I mean, I want you to acknowledge that there are particular temptations that afflict you because you and I are not tempted by the same things necessarily. We have different cravings. You go to a restaurant with a group of people, get a diverse menu in front of you, and people will pick different foods based on their tastes. Every once in a while, it happened this past week, Mike, didn't it? The sushi craving came back. Love it. Love it. And I can feel it. It's, it's interesting. It doesn't happen with a lot of foods. But it happens with sushi. You just feel like you need it. And, and so Mike and I will come up with some excuse to have a meeting. We've got to have a meeting. And I think the best place to have it is at Ajisai. I think we should just go there. And, and it's a craving. You get that for a certain food? And see, some of you are going, sushi? Yeesh. I do not crave, how many people do not crave sushi at all? That's a lot of people. More for us, Mike, more for us, is what I say. Um, but you see, that's the thing. The things that, that, that are a temptation for me, the sin issues that I face, the things that Satan is saying through the door to me, are not, that you, you would be like, I am not tempted by that whatsoever. It doesn't bother me. And so you need to be thinking about, what is it for you? Greed may not be an issue for you. You may be very content with what you have, but you cannot control yourself sexually. Your mind is out of control. You're given to pornography. You're in an inappropriate relationship right now. Money's not a problem. Sex is. Or maybe sex isn't a problem for you. Maybe you have that under control in your life. Your craving is not in that direction at all. But you cannot keep your mouth shut. You are a gossip and a slanderer. And you shred people with your words. Maybe you have a handle on your finances. But your anger is out of control. You seethe inside. What is it for you? I, I don't know. You and the Holy Spirit know. Identify what it is. Understand your own weakness. You're hungry for whatever it is. And you want that hunger satisfied. And so how are you going about that? Know your weakness. Now for some of you. You're, you're willing right now to kind of chart it down. And think about it. And know. And I got it. I know what it is. I I've identified the enemy in my life, but some of you, the problem is that you're not even willing to admit that you have a weakness. That's your first weakness. Some of you, it's because you're not followers of Jesus Christ yet. And the first step in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is admitting that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. But some of you have been followers of Christ so long that somehow you think you've got life licked. You think you're okay now. None of us is okay, not until, the, not until we see Jesus Christ face to face. We are not yet fully okay. We are justified in his sight, 
declared to be righteous. We are in the process of becoming sanctified, but not quite sanctified yet. And on that day when we see him face to face, this is all in Romans chapter 8, we will be glorified, perfected body, completely sinless, free of this body of death. Can I get an amen to that? Please bring that now, Lord. Amen? I want that now. Because I understand my own weakness. Now, when you got that figured out, recognize the devil's schemes. I'm not sure if the devil has a LinkedIn page. How many of you even know what LinkedIn is? You know what LinkedIn is? It's social media for nerds, all right? Um, business or something. The devil has a LinkedIn page. Well, if he did, this is what it would say about him. Because you know you can do references for people. And you know I, I recommend you for this on LinkedIn. Um, this is off his page. <laughs> he was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, what's the main idea of that verse? He's a, he's a liar. He's a liar. But we are so given to actually believing him. He's, he's so persuasive. The scriptures tell us that, that, that though we picture the devil with such evil um, uh, imagery... He's always kind of like reddish with, with peaked ears and he, 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 it's, it's evil. He looks like evil. And yet the scriptures tell us that he comes to us as an angel of light. He's persuasive, but he's a liar. When he comes as an angel of light, he's being deceitful toward us. And the three temptations that we see, how we see his, his deceit as he operates with Jesus and, by the way, with us. Everything he says and does, everything he says and does is meant to undermine your understanding of who God is, how God sees you, and to undermine your trust in his provision and love for you. He's attacking you at your sense of belonging and identity in your sense of security in who Jesus Christ is, in your sense of mission, he's destroying all of that with his words. The devil tempts Jesus in areas that are specific to his messianic role, and he's going to tempt you in areas that are specific to your inclinations, what your hunger is, what your desire is. So he says to Jesus, pick up in verse 3, the devil said to him, he says this twice to him, by the way, if you are the son of God, Did the devil know he was the son of God? Totally. The devil was an angel, a good angel, created by the son of God. They know each other face to face. He knows exactly who he is. If you're the son of God, he's trying to fool God. Do you think he's going to do any different with us? He's a liar and the father of lies. He's tempting Jesus in this first temptation, by the way. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. He's no, 
he's hungry and, and he's, he's trying to tempt him at, at the point of his hunger, satisfy, make some bread right now. It's not really about the hunger and the physical need, really. It's a challenge to who Jesus Christ is in his identity and whether or not he's going to misuse his authority as the Son of God. Because to create bread for himself would be to violate the mission that God had given him in his world to come and serve us. To save us. Verses 5 through 7. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. To you I will give all this authority, their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I will. There's some truth in that. God had given, has given the devil authority over the kingdoms of this world for a season and time. It's not going to be forever. We've read the end of the book. Right? The end of his kingdom is coming, but he does have authority. And so in some sense, he would be able to deliver this over to the Lord. Really, he's saying to him, I, try my plan instead. God's plan, God's plan is, is really going to be hurtful to you. You should try my plan. It's not uh, nearly so bad. He's trying to subvert God's desires. By the way, can I just say this? Inasmuch as the devil knows who, that Jesus is the son of God, the devil knows that you are a son or daughter of God. He knows that. He knows those who aren't. If you're a child of God, he knows it. And yet his desire is still to interrupt, to subvert, to undermine your relationship with the Lord. And if you are not a follower of Christ, he knows that too. And his desire right now, peeking through the keyhole of, of your life, he's, he's trying to whisper to you right now, you don't need this, don't listen to this, this guy's baked, don't believe the word of God. You're doing fine on your own. It's his whole thing. So he lies, he lies about who you are, he lies about what you know. Notice verses 9 through 11 now. He took him to Jerusalem. He set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. He said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for here, for, from here, for it's written. He'll What's he doing now? For it is written. It is written where? In the Bible. The devil's quoting the Bible. This sounds pretty convincing. Lots of people quoting the Bible today who don't believe it or who distort and twist it. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Good scriptures. Sound, sound right from Psalm 91. Jesus answered him with scripture. Here's a good note on how you study the Bible. You always study scripture in light of scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. Got it? It's a very important principle of studying the word of God. We never just yank a verse out and go, well, this must mean this because I thought it did. Scripture interprets scripture, and that's how Jesus is responding to these. These two things are true that the devil cites, but they're not true in every situation because there's some other scriptures that put some limits on that. We're not, we're not going to test God. So we need to be aware that the devil and his demons, please understand, the devil and his demons know the Bible best than the best of our scholars. They know the Bible better than the best of our scholars. 
They know the Bible better than the sum total of the accumulated knowledge of everyone in this room. They know the scriptures. They know how to distort and twist them. And the distortion and misuse of the Bible today by human preachers or non-preachers should not be a surprise to us since it is the very way that Satan operates. In fact, you can go all the way back, the first of his most devious schemes, the old tactic first used with Eve when he challenged and said to her, did God really say, and he quoted what God had said to her. This is, this is an old trick. Let's not fall for what the devil is saying here. We need to believe the word of God, recognizing his schemes and we'll only be able to refute his lies, by the way, if we actually know their lies. How can I know? We have to know and then apply the word of God. If you're going to resist temptation, you need to know the Bible. You need to be a student of the word. And three times, the only way that Jesus responds to the temptations is with the Bible. And notice this. In the first one, he says, man shall not live by bread alone. If you look at the Matthew account, I believe it says, um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Um, verse 8, again, Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Verse 12, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, three times he comes back. The only thing he says is, it is written, it is written, it is written, and he gives scripture and that's it. That's how he refutes the evil one. Just scripture. Now, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that most of us in this room would prefer an easier answer. This sounds hard. I have to study the Bible. I mean, I have to, I have to learn it. I have to know what it says. That sounds like hard work. Yeah, it's a lifetime of work, honestly. Isn't there an easy way? I'm not wrong in thinking that most of, in this, us, of us in this room would prefer a magic pill. Correct? I heard a testimony not, not even a month ago from a man um, who had been struggling in his earlier life. He's now, I believe, in his 60s. And in his earlier life, he had struggled tremendously with same-sex attraction. And, and uh, he didn't want that. And, and uh, he prayed earnestly to the Lord as he was struggling with that in his early adult years and just pleading with God, take it away from me, take it away from me, take it away from me. How many people pursuant to your sin issue, whatever it is, have prayed that prayer? God, just take it from me. You prayed that prayer? Just take it from me. Because we want the magic pill. We want to call on the God of the universe just to remove the temptation from us. God, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Just, just take the alcohol, the taste of it. Take it away from me. God, I'm a sex addict. I, just take the desire away from me. God, I, I can't stop talking about people. Just God, just, just take it away from me. And we hope to wake up the next morning and, and never gossip again and, and never feel lust and, and never desire alcohol. 
It's not the way it works most of the time, is it? Once in a while, once in a while, God removes it miraculously from someone's life. Once, once in a very rare while. And the rest of the time, we have to work at it. We have to learn the scriptures. This man prayed for that over and over again. God, take this from me, take this from me, take this from me. And then it wasn't until a couple of women came into his life and started praying for him and holding him to account and working with him to get to a better place that he found freedom from his sin. That he was able to no longer open the door when the devil was there tempting him to open it up and indulge his sinful behavior. The reality is most of us are unwilling to do the work to resist the temptation to overcome it. Therefore, we just live these these impotent Christian lives. We no longer have the power of God. We don't have his filling filling in our lives because because we're not willing to do the work. We understand this in in terms of our physical well-being, whether we do it or not. Whether we do it or not, we understand that in order to get lean and mean... We've got to eat healthy and exercise regularly. We get it, right? You get it? All those commercials in January were not lost on you? <laughs> eat healthy, exercise regularly. That's the way we're going to be physically healthy. And yet somehow we think that spiritually we can subvert that process. And it's exactly the same for your spiritual well-being. We've got to eat healthy, eat healthy, the Word of God. And exercise our faith regularly. And apart from doing that, you won't be healthy spiritually. You won't be able to resist opening the door. You'll open it every time he comes and peers in and starts talking to you. Apply the word of God. You won't. You won't beat temptation. Simply by wanting to beat temptation. You actually have to actively engage in applying the word of God. You have to do something about it. And so Jesus' only response is Bible. It's just Bible, Bible, Bible. No conversation with the devil about it. No reasoning with him. No arguing with him. No back and forth. Read about people who are actually engaged in addictive behavior. If you read any studies about this, or you have personally had any experience with this, it is like, you know, the picture with uh, the the devil and the angel on the two shoulders. You know, or if you're my age, um, a little um, Fred Flintstone angel and a little Fred Flintstone devil on the two shoulders. You got that picture, right? And that conversation that happens, people who are caught in addictive behaviors, they have those conversations. They really do. But I, I don't want you to, to picture it as a conversation with yourself. You're, you're talking to the devil through the door. Don't talk to him. Unless what's coming out of your mouth is what came out of Jesus' mouth. What came out of his mouth? Scripture. Scripture. That's it. That's it. So, so if you're going to do that, 
then you have to decide what temptations are particular to you. We've talked about that. You need to study the Bible and find out what verses are going to apply to that. You need to study and learn those verses. You need to commit those verses to memory or put them on a card or get them on your smartphone and have them ready. And as soon as that temptation begins to come, as soon as you feel the devil is peering through the keyhole and starting to talk to you, you get that scripture out and you say that to him. You just read the word of God to him. That's it. God, is it that easy? At a basic level, it's that easy or hard. You have to do it. You have to apply the word of God to refute his lies and schemes. And before we leave this point, I want to really just draw it in. And I've kind of said all of these three things along the way, but I want to draw it into something that I think will be really helpful to you. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, This is the the map to resist temptation. I've shared this with you before. The map to resist temptation. And the first is this. You have to have in your life moral fences. You have to have moral fences. Can I tell you about some of my moral fences? They primarily relate uh, to matters of sexuality. And all of our uh, pastors and elders have these moral fences that we apply in our lives. Um, It's things like this. I... I don't counsel a woman alone in my office. I don't drive alone with a woman in my car who's not a close relative of mine. Um, If one of the uh, female staff members would need a ride home at the end of the day and we were the only two there, I I, I couldn't take her home. I could try and find another alternative away for her, but I, I can't just drive her home. We're trying to avoid the appearance of evil and make sure that we give no opportunity to the devil. And so that's one of the rules we have. Uh, we have uh, filtering software, reporting software, and all of the computers and all of the smartphones that we use, any kind of device, my iPhone, my iPad, my Mac, it all reports any computer that I have any access to, my children's computers, my wife's iPhone, it's all the same. We report, we have moral fences in place to ensure that we don't have a fall. You would need to decide for yourself Um, That's just in the area of sexuality. I have others in the area of finances. Dave McDonald and I talk regularly. He's one of our elders. And he knows about our finances and how we spend our money. And uh, that's back and forth for both of us. And there's some accountability around that. There's moral fences that we put in place to make sure that we're not going somewhere we ought not to go. You need to decide for yourself what kind of things, what kind of protections could I put in place for me and for my family that would help with that. A is this, accountable relationships. And uh, that word gets thrown around a lot, and uh, not every relationship that we call accountability is true accountability. And we really need to be uh, close to a person, and we need to be authentic and transparent and vulnerable with those people. They need to be advocates in our life. If we really expect uh, that they're going to help us with this, there needs to be a high level of, um, of honesty with one another an openness to share our lives and to say this is my area of struggle and coming back and forth there needs to be so much grace and so much truth being spoken. We don't excuse anybody's sin but we have a lot of room for forgiveness and for help, correct? Lots of grace for one another as we uh, walk through this life. And um, then this, uh, personal disciplines. And um, there is a sense in which uh, this battle is still a solitary one Um, uh, even though we talk about accountable relationships and having all of this in our lives. 
There's still a sense in which this is a one-on-one battle with me and the evil one. And at the end of the day, my friends and my family are not always around me. And I need to be a person of integrity even when I'm alone. Our integrity really is measured by who we are when no one's around. And so um, personal disciplines are going to help with that. Your personal disciplines of the word and prayer. And we've talked all about that of worship and of fasting and And all of that, we need to apply the word of God. I hope that's helpful to you. Finally, this. Know that temptation will come again. Know that it's ongoing in your life. The temptation throughout the 40 days and the three temptations that we have here in the text, these three temptations are merely representative of everything that Jesus went through. Kind of the culmination of the whole 40 days that Jesus faced. This wasn't even the end of it. Look with me again at verse 13. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Don't you wish it was like that in our lives? We could just put the period at that point in the verse. He departed from him. The temptations are over. I'm free and clear. Yes, please. I would love that. But the verse goes on until an opportune time. Until another time. And he came back. And you see the devil confronting Jesus as we work through Luke's gospel. You'll see the devil confronting Jesus at various times along the way in his ministry. And demons showing up and challenging him. And and then you see that awful battle that's taking place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Please understand that that's the devil right there in the garden, at the door, looking through the keyhole, tempting Jesus to give up the mission. He departed from him until an opportune time. We're always in this. We, we could have labeled this point, don't be naive or don't let your guard down. Don't ever think or say that you've got such and such a temptation beat. Complacency and pride, again, the root of all sin, will be the undoing of those who let their guards down. And I should know that as soon as I start gaining victories over sin, if I get a victory and I'm making progress and I'm moving forward and and God is blessing and things are going my way, please understand that's precisely the moment when a Christian has hit their stride. That's precisely the moment that the devil wants to show up and trip you up. He doesn't care. Listen, if you're here and you're not really that fired up about Jesus and you don't care and you're letting him in all the time, he's not really going to put that much effort into you. You're easy. But if you're on top of it and seeking to live for him and striving to be the strongest follower of Christ you can possibly be, you can bet you're going to face an onslaught of your own flesh rearing up, of the world coming against you, and of the devil tempting you himself. He will redouble his efforts. And so vigilance in all of these things is our friend. So I hope you find in this some things that are helpful in what Jesus did, what we should do when being tempted by the devil. Let me remind us again of this quote from Billy Sunday. Temptation is the devil looking through the keyhole. Yielding is opening the door and letting him in. I have no doubt that Billy Sunday got this after reading Genesis chapter 4. 
Just prior to Cain murdering his brother, God speaks to Cain. And he said to him, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Loved ones, we, we must rule over it. Some of you are standing right now, or you will be this week, you're standing right at the door, and you can hear his voice. Some of you have your hand on the handle, and you're making a decision whether to turn it and let him in. You'll face it all week long. And I want to plead with you. I want to ask you, with all that I have, your hand off the handle back away from the door step back get as far away from it as you can for the sake of your own souls for the sake of your loved ones for the sake of God's glory keep away from the door God, we thank you um, that you are a God who hears. You are a God who heard our desperate pleas. You saw our plight even before we prayed it. You know our sin. You have loved us in spite of it. And you have sacrificed your own son for us. So God, thank you. We, we pour out our hearts in gratitude to you. We know the battle is won. We know that the end of our life is not the grave. It's not eternal separation from you. But as your followers, God, we have eternity set for us. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, for his body given to us. And as we spend this time reflecting on the blood and the body of Christ, Pray, God, that we would be in this act committing ourselves in an even greater way to live our lives in a way that pleases you. God, that we would be redoubling our efforts to live holy even as you are holy. To walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, thank you for hearing this prayer. Bless this time that we'll share in together. In Christ's name. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.